you know where you are? I'm in a dream. Would you like to wake from this dream? No. I have wine and Patrice Bergeron. Oh, uh, okay. Oh, I guess that concludes the test. These violent delights have violent ends. What? Welcome to Throwdown Thursday. Welcome to Throwdown Thursday. I think I came in way too early and totally threw Wolfie off. So welcome to Throwdown Thursday again. Uh, as you may have guessed, if you are a fan of the HBO series, uh, we are going to be talking about Westworld today. So I'm hoping these violent delights have violent ends. Ow, ow. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> that's some sexy stuff right there. Is it really, though? Uh, it it depends. Really? Uh, I mean, it could be. I am probably not. I'm gonna I'm take. A little too tired. I am gonna take a uh, a page out of uh, Crumb's book and not kink shame. If that's what you're into, that's what you're into. So, if your violent delights have violent ends and that's what you like, then go for it. Um, so today we have some uh, some Westworld talk, not Eastworld, Westworld. So. If you're unfamiliar with the show, it's on HBO. Stream it. It's awesome. I think. Are you going to do intros? Yeah, I'm getting to that. Okay. I haven't decided yet, but uh, as you may already know, we are still missing an Agent Nicole. She is deep, deep undercover, by which I mean she's hiding under the blankets of Benedict Cumberbatch's bed. Uh, she's a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent now, so she has that clearance. Uh, Mrs. Cumberbatch was not overly thrilled about that, but uh, Nicole compromised and had her locked away in the raft, which is that supermax prison that rises up out of the ocean, in case you're not familiar. So I just wanted to get that out of the way. I am, however, joined by the real housewife of Pennsylvania, <laughs> oh my god you didn't even introduce yourself i'm getting to that oh my god this is what happens when you don't come to rehearsal oh, this is what happens when i get flustered from recording episodes back to back oh, i mean that's not what we did but you know i'm just saying All right, anyway so we're ashes von nightmare everybody. hello everyone and uh i am patsy the angry nerd i love sharks and science and pizza uh, we are also, of course, joined by the man without whom this podcast would not be possible. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, Johnny Wolfenstein. Is this a dream or is this reality? Uh, it might is this the real life or <laughs> is this just fantasy? Well, I did swim through a lot of orange soda to get here, so it might be the fantasy. No, oh, I think it's, oh, I think it's the, a real. The ha, fa- fantasy, yes, yes, I get yes. that. By the way... That movie, not the fantasy, but Bohemian Rhapsody, the the Queen movie with the uh, Rami Rami uh, Ray, uh, I, Mr. The I Robot. Robot, yes, the, the, Mr. Oh, Robot, I Robot, not iRobot, Mr. Robot. <laughs> yes, he's um, a Roomba. <laughs> <laughs> he really gets into character in this one. He looks incredible as Freddie Mercury. He had to sing in front of the remaining members of Queen. Uh, I don't think they. That's not his voice. Like no, no, no. He. Like, during the audition process, like, he had to sing in front of the remaining members of Queen. Wow. So, 
talk about nerve wracking. Like we right. were, you know, when we talked last week with uh, the actors from Megalodon, you know, talking about auditions and how things could be really nerve wracking and, and difficult. That I imagine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That would be tough. Um, so, yeah, that does look amazing. And I think we should definitely uh, see that and definitely do a show on it. And do a show on Freddie Mercury? Yeah. Well, I, you know, like I said, I want to get. Rami Malik. Rami Malik. That's yes. his name. If yes. you're unfamiliar with him and you don't watch the Mr. Robot show, like uh, clearly we don't because she called it iRobot, uh, he also played the uh, Egyptian pharaoh from night at the museum yes he did that's what i know him from but uh we digress so we are discussing uh the tv show westworld yes which is uh basically it's a futuristic theme park where there are uh, robots that will do anything you want literally anything uh you can shoot and murder them but they can't shoot and murder you. You could go on quests. It's like a big video game. Yes. But way more expensive than even an Xbox Live subscription. I believe they say, what, 40 grand 40, a, a day? Week. Yeah. Oh, I, I thought it said a day. It might be. Because you have to adjust. In the movie, it's $1,000 a week. Or is it $1,000? Now I'm... Now I'm going to have to look this up in, in it's between. Exp- it's expensive, a lot, ladies and gentlemen. It is, it is, it is dollar intensive. Yes. So it caters only to the super rich. So, and before we get started, so we are actually going to be covering up through episode, what, episode six, six of season <laughs> two. So primarily covering the character of Dolores, but we are going to get into some major spoiler territory. So if you aren't fully up to date on this season like i said we are going to be getting into some spoiler territory so just what does be the warned. producer do <laughs> um i'll just block it out <laughs> i apologize just pretend I'm like sorry. you and i are having a normal conversation in real life and just think about baseball ashes did someone say something yeah i know See? i have no idea <laughs> it went silent there for a second um so anyways, we at the uh, um, recommendation of Agent Nicole and some of our other friends, we started watching the first season of Westworld and we watched it probably like a month ago. We started. Yeah. So we were a little late to the party and I still don't know if I like the show. However, I can't stop watching the show. Right. I'm the same way. It's like. Watched the first couple episodes, and I was like, what do you think? She's like, I don't know. I'm like, neither do I. It's weird. It's one of those, like, I don't know. Then Patsy told me, he's like, well, J.J. Abrams is tied to it. Yeah, it's Bad Robot. Which totally makes sense, because I had these same feelings about Lost. Uh, When Patsy and I first started dating, he was a huge fan of Lost, and it was getting into what the before the last season, like they I think were it gearing was up for the five last or season six season. No, we were yeah, we're getting into the last season six. Yeah, it was gearing up for the last season. So I binge watched, and, and I mean like intensively binged watched all five seasons of Lost. I had all the d- digital video discs. Yeah, and the ones that we didn't have, we picked up. She and bought for me to the point where Patrick even had notebooks. 
I because had, he took notes while watching it, doing like these uh, theories and stuff. So this is a this is a kind of uh, not so much a break from kayfabe, but like I've always been Patsy the nerd. I've gotten angrier as I've gotten older, but every time a new season, like I first watched Lost, I uh, I used to work at a boarding school, as some people know, and a friend of mine let me borrow the first two seasons, and I watched the first two seasons. 46 episodes in 48 hours. Like, just straight through, I was awake, and I watched the first two, and then I was like, all right, I'm going to get some sleep, and then I'm going to go to Hollywood Video, and I'm going to get season three. So I went and got a couple of, couple of discs. They were they didn't have the whole season. They had, you know, you know, disc one with this many episodes, disc, which is kind of a pain in the ass, but I was able to get them and, you know, go back and forth because I wasn't working. I was, I was on vacation for two weeks around Christmas, and... I would, as as each season progressed, I was taking notes. I had a full note. I still have that notebook. And every time a new season would start, I would start from the beginning and rewatch all of it to kind of, like, try to catch myself up and look for little things. Basically the same shit that people do with Game of Thrones now, and it's yes. not considered nerdy. But when I did it, it was considered nerdy and probably still is. But still, I was doing it before it was cool, so... But yeah, so I had his notebooks with his notes and we watched all five seasons of Lost within the span of what, a couple months? Yes. It was a lot. It was a lot to the point where I still heading into the sixth season, I still didn't know if I liked the show, but I couldn't stop watching it. And then the show ended and then how it ended. I was like, yeah, I don't like the show anymore. It was very polarizing. Um, but, yeah, so I have the same feelings about Westworld. I, I don't know if I like it or not, but I can't stop watching it. I think it, I think it's the Western part of Westworld that is turning me off. But the whole sci-fi fantasy aspect, the, the, the mind fuck that is Westworld, mm-hmm. um, is what keeps me coming back. It's like a bad boyfriend who occasionally buys you flowers. So, listen, but, but, I but never bought you flowers. I, I wasn't alluding to you. <laughs> um, you know, I, I don't know. I just I don't know if I like it, but I can't stop watching it. Um, so anyways, our, our getting into character question for today is if you could spend time in any world. So obviously we know there's a West world. At this point, we know there's a Shogun world, um, a Raj world, Raj world yep. uh, which is uh, takes place. I, I have to look up the exact pronunciation because I will just ruin it. But it's the uh, Raj period in India. Uh, I want to say it's during British occupation, but I'm not 100 percent sure. I don't know my history of India that well. So but yeah, if there you, are other worlds as well. Yeah, um, uh, there were six the, total on on Westworld. Yes, on the show. Yes, and but so, we've only seen those three. Yes, and then in the movie, the nineteen seventy three movie that this is based on, there are three worlds. I mean, we'll get into the little bit more of a comparison after. But there's Westworld, medieval world, and Roman world. So there's kind of like different stops through history. Yeah. So if you could spend time in any world, what world would you choose and why? Well, 
we actually have a response from the Avengers facility. Okay. So I, I'm going to read that. This is a communique that as soon as I finish reading, it'll probably explode, but I'm not sure. yes. So it says, hello from the Avengers facility. I'm sorry that I'm not able to, t- to attend the conversation about one of my absolute favorite characters in recent years, Dolores from Westworld. I'll be sending another email shortly about my thoughts about her and what I've seen up to season two of the show. Thankfully, Patrick was nice enough to give me a heads up. See, I can be nice sometimes on what the getting into character question was. For me, there are too many worlds and adventures that I'd like to do. I'll give you at least three of them. So the first world I'd choose would be a medieval medieval times based on adventure. It would have some similar elements to Game of Thrones, but with more magical creatures and folklore with elves, orcs, tieflings, druids, you name it. I want to plus I want to have a fucking direwolf next to me as I go searching different lands and meeting new people, get into war and cause some shit. So for that, she would probably like you know the uh the medieval world, which I'm sure the new show as it's HBO probably has a Game of Thrones type world that we just haven't seen yet. Another world would be a world of espionage. I've I always go into I've always had a fascination with spy thrillers as a child, and it'd be nice to go into the world of espionage. We can learn how to break codes, become a true secret agent, learn different combat skills, fight and pretend wars, learn how to handle new secretive technique, and all that fun. So that's essentially what she's doing now. Uh, She is spying on Benedict Cumberbatch from under his blankets. And last but not least, I want a world where I can become a damn wizard. You're a wizard, Harry. While Universal Studios and Warner Brothers Studios provides the taste of what I'd like to be, what it'd be like to live out a wizarding world, I want I want it more realistic with creatures and spells that actually work. The timeline can vary, even though I do love the timeline of the 1920s and 1930s, like in Fantastic Beasts. I want to ride a hippogriff. I want to learn as I go, join the dark forces, and include all magical creatures from folklore and legends. I figured she'd be a bad guy or a villain, or the. Uh, the stereotypical black hat. I could name a few more, but I'm not going to do that. Sorry for the inconvenience of not being able to make it on the show. Damn shield, damn mother nature, damn sinus infections, which is uh, her name for uh, Benedict's testicles. Uh, signing off, Agent Nicole. Well, thank you, Agent Nicole. Uh, I would not have uh, guessed that you would want a vacation so similar to your real life. In espionage, um, I mean, that'd be like a guy that's like, oh, I work at Target, and I want to go to Retail World. <laughs> <laughs> the least popular park. They actually pay you to go there. Yeah. It turns out it's actually the gift shop. Yeah. <laughs> so, Ashes, you have some notes, I see. Uh, what do you got? So, I came up with two. Right off the bat, um, I'll give you one, and then you give one, and then I'll give my like ultimate one, and then you give your ultimate one. Okay. Sound good? Cool? That sounds good. Okay, good team. Um, so, I love 80 slasher flicks. Like, I love them. Love them so much. I want to go to Slasher World, where you have the option of either attempting to be the final girl or 
picking up a machete and being the fucking serial killer yourself. Oh, well, that's fucking easy. Yeah, but still. like would be people, Slashy McGee. Yeah, but I mean, how, yeah, but how satisfying would it be to kind of live out? I mean, for me anyway, it's like I would love to live out my final girl fantasies. Yeah, I can. Uh... You know, sleeping out in a tent with my girlfriends and, you know. Drinking wine, talking yeah, about boys. Talking so about basically. Boys and giggling, and then all of a sudden just seeing a machete come and just slice up the, the tent that we're in. And, you know, obviously the slutty friend is the first one to go. And, you know. How do you decide who the slutty friend is? Uh, that's for. We draw straws. Oh, uh, okay. We draw straws. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, so, for but no, me, but I, f- oh, I feel sorry, like no, ahead. no, no, because I feel like you know, I, I a lot of these would be you know, the the AIs. So you would be paired with a, a group of of people, you know. So you wouldn't know who, like, you would be paired with a group of of stereotypes. So it would be there, you know, kind of like Westworld. It would be you know somebody's job to be the slutty one and to get killed first and. You know, technically the AI, they're not supposed to kill humans. So you would get off unscathed, but you could still, you know, live in that fear and still live out that fantasy. I would say in that in that uh, scenario, if you don't know who the slutty friend is, it's, it's you. probably you. It's yeah, probably you. <laughs> I volunteer as tribute. That's always how it is. Um, like if you don't know who the dumbest guy in the room is. It's, it's you, you. Uh, but yeah, I think like some some fully fleshed out like slasher world, kind of like a homage to a Camp Crystal Lake type atmosphere. Um, you know, some crazed maniacal killer. Unless you decide to pick up a machete and become the crazed maniacal killer, like how cool would that be? How much aggression would you be able to get out with that? Quite a bit. Right? Quite like a that bit. Would be because, I mean, like, everyone tries to kill the killer. Yes. You know? So there's still some of that, you know... I think that you would have to break it down. The technology would have to would definitely have to uh, increase. Because, I mean, with the bullets that they use in Westworld, they automatically slow down or the gun won't fire, depending on which version you're looking at. Right. But with a machete... Well, I mean, there's okay. So I haven't fully thought it out. Well, no, it's like just, they would just—they you know, would have to be two parks. There would, yeah, there would have to be like one where you're the killer, one where you're not. There would have to be some logistics, obviously, but you know, it's. I just got a uh, a communique, a short communique from Agent Nicole, making sure that we were able to read her uh, her first communique, and I explained to her what that we knew what sinus infection actually meant. And she just responded with, Oh my God, in all capitals, and then told me I'm gross. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little peek behind the curtain, folks. So what's yours? So mine, and uh, this is kind of a little bit of a preview for what's, what's coming up um, in the... In the, the, the uh, second half of our discussion is I would do like a Jurassic Park full of robots where we have to go there's an escaped dinosaur and we have to track it hunt it and trap it and bring it back safely 
Is it your therapy raptor? It would be my therapy raptor. Um, and there, there'd be lots of different, um, there would be lots of different, uh, uh, variations and each variation would be kind of like played along to the theme of one of the Jurassic Park films. So the first one, you're there to just kind of go through and things start breaking down and you have to escape. Um, the second one, you're going back to rescue somebody. The third one, you're also going back to rescue someone and you think you're getting away, but you know, the plane crashes and, you know, dinosaurs eat your friends. And so like in this scenario, though, people could be eaten by the dinosaurs or carried off by the dinosaurs, but not killed. Like, you know, they, like the dinosaur puts you in its mouth and you just kind of like slide into like a soft, you know, like stomach area. So, so really what, what you want is a, a Flintstone world. Like you want. No, no, no. You would be eaten by the dinosaur, but like it would eventually. Uh, but, it, but it would turn into a theme park. Like you would be eaten would by the dinosaur, but then it would turn into a fun slide and you would just. But there's still like it's dark and you're well, you wouldn't slide out the tail a little bit under the tail. These would have realistic uh, digestive systems. But no, you know, the whole thing would be, you know, depending on like, you know, you have to track this dinosaur. You have to escape from the T-Rex or you have to, you know, and using different things. It would be very similar to like going through the movie. But you would have to perform all these different actions. Okay. So that would be how I would I would want to do that first one. So my second world is actually what I would absolutely love to go to. Uh, I find this time period so fascinating and so risque. Um, prohibition world. You know, a time of gangsters and speakeasies and kind of like great Gatsby-esque. It's the 1920s. That's a fine. How do you do? In America, uh, you know, jazz clubs and flappers and there's just this glamour. I just said I said speakeasies. Um, But there's this glamour uh, about this time period. Uh, but there's also, you know, the, the risque of, you know, alcohol is prohibited, but everyone's getting drunk, you know. Um, I just I just love that, you know, gangsters and. Yes. Would now. Trying to. Um, trying to. You know, capitalize on this. Would you be a bootlegger? Would you be a flapper? Would you be a. Oh, I'm uh, the motherfucking mob boss. A jackbooted G-man. I am the motherfucking boss, okay? Like, that's what I would want to be. I would want to be head of a mob. So, like... Uh, Using a speakeasy as my cover. So, you'd be... Essentially, you'd be a Kennedy. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> you would be a Kennedy. I just want a really big fur coat. Fake fur, mind you. I, I never wear real fur. Always would you, fake fur. But I want a really big fur coat. Well, would you... Carry a Tommy gun? Would you carry a Derringer? Would you have a stiletto up your sleeve? Like I would have stilettos on my feet. Well, yeah, but um, I don't know. I, I whatever I got could get my hands. Whatever on. you get your greasy I, mitts on. No, but see, here's the thing: I would not shoot the guns. Oh no, no, no! That, that's what my lackeys are for. Don't be lazy. I'm not lazy. Occasionally, you have to. You have to. You know, like in uh, True Romance, I haven't killed anybody since. 
But that's what my lackeys are for. I don't want to break a nail. My job is to make the decisions. Don't touch the hair. I just had it did. Exactly. Exactly. My job is to look good, make the decisions, and drink the wine. But yeah, Prohibition World. I think that would be amazing. So much fun. Kind of like, you know, Chicago, all that jazz. All that jazz? All that jazz. Jazz hands. So for mine, I kind of had a a toss-up because... On the one hand, nothing could be more awesome than to have superpowers. So I would want to do like some sort of superhero battle where you can choose what powers you have and the robots all interact with you accordingly. Like, I want to shoot laser beams from my eyes. I want to be super strong. I want to be super fast, super speed. Like, everyone else would just move slower than you like way slower than usual to kind of compensate for the fact that you can't really run at the speed of sound. Um, so like that would be pretty great. I also thought, you know, I had the same thought as Nicole where, you know, like a game of Thrones world. I also thought that it would be cool to be like the Simpsons world, like go into a cartoon and like be a cartoon for a while. And, you know, things like that. But if I'm being true to myself and I'm being true to who I am, I'm Star Wars World. Oh, really? I thought you were going to be Shark World. Well, there's not a whole lot you can do with Shark World. I mean, you could, you know, do, you could swap out the, uh, I mean, in Jurassic World, you would have, or a Triassic World, <laughs> you would have, you know, there's obviously different types of sharks. You know, you get the Helicoprion, you can get a Megalodon. You know, the, all these different types of sharks that would be a Dunkleostis, even though he's technically not a shark. But, you know, all these different, you know, because you're going to be on an island. you got to have the, uh, you have to have it like the Mosasaurus from, you know, uh, the, what's his name? Uh, Chris Pratt movie. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have these, these types of animals already. But, you know, I think Star Wars World where you can just but, jump So in. Star Wars World or Space World? Star Wars World. Okay. Because, again, you know, if you're like, okay, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a Jedi. Well, the robots would would be like, okay, I'm doing a force push, and they would fall down. Okay. You know, your lightsaber would buzz right through them, but wouldn't hurt a normal person. Did somebody bend your Wookiee? No, no. Uh, But, like, that's the thing. You could also jump onto a spaceship and fly from planet to planet. You can battle, you know, evildoers or. You could be you know, the evildoer. Go there with your dad and rule the galaxy as father and son. <laughs> you know, it's just like, happy you Father's Day. You choose the light side or the dark side. Yeah, or you could be a gray Jedi. Can you make out with your sister? Hey, <laughs> there's no judgment. Not that I want to, but, <laughs> you know, if it's if it's Star Wars world. There's you know? no judgment in Star Wars world. As long as you pay the money. Hey, <laughs> if you want to kiss a Wookiee, they can arrange that. You wouldn't so. have to floss after. No. You can shoot first if you want. Wow. So, yeah, that's I'd probably go Star Wars world. Wolfie, do you have a world that you would want to go to? Enact any of your fantasies? I know where your lady friend would go. Where? Where is that? Probably Viking world. And she would just, like, run through and just destroy everyone and become uh, 
God of the Vikings? Um, hmm. Star Wars was going to be my guess, but I don't want to go with the same thing. You um, can. That's okay. What kind of world. You know what? How about uh, let's go with this? Let's go with uh, post-apocalyptic world. Oh. Ooh. What kind of apocalypse are we talking? Um. Talking zombies, pathogens, aliens, uh, robots. No, I, I'm thinking like if if it's post-apocalyptic, everything goes right. Like if we're going with kind of like because in in what I've seen of Westworld, it, it's it's just sort of anything that happened in the West could happen, right? Like yes. So if we're going post-apocalyptic, you could get zombies, you could get mutants, you could get mm-hmm. any of that stuff. So like. One part of the world could be infested with zombies, while another part could be, you know, more mutant-like creatures or, you know, something like that. So I think that would be probably pretty dangerous, but but, but it, I think it would be uh, interesting and fun to to be, you know, because how many movies or games have we played in those situations where we probably would be very adept at getting through those situations, you know, so we could feel kind of badass probably, you know. And you could probably like, you know, pay to have different levels. Like, you know, oh, I'm a I'm a rookie, so you find ammo everywhere, or sure, I'm hardcore, where it's like, okay, here's a right, like I say, it would definitely here's put a butter knife survive- and a poncho. Good luck. Yeah, it would definitely put your survival skills to the test. Yeah. Well, the the interesting thing is, I, I had originally, I mean, I guess maybe there's a little bit off track, but I'd originally gotten in, gotten interested in Westworld. I love the original film, by the way, but. Uh, because you know as a as a fan and a designer of video games uh, they are basically building the kind of games that i make like an mmorpg you know that's essentially what westworld is you know where you go yes. and get to be whatever you want to be in that world and you know and that's kind of what a lot of mmos or even just just now nowadays online games uh, allow you to do so uh, it would be interesting though and one of the things I was I'm trying to think of who I was talking to. I think I was, yeah, I was actually talking to uh, to T Dog, my girlfriend, about this, and we were watching a a documentary about uh, the history of metal music. You know, it's like a twelve part documentary, and we were thinking how, how fucking badass would it be to go back and see Black Sabbath's first show, or you know, like these new movements of, of music when they're first starting. And my thought was, we're probably not too far from that because with, you know, virtual reality technology, granted it hasn't taken off the way people had hoped, but there is the ability to do that sort of thing where you can relive history in that sense, you know? So I think, I think we're getting there. It's still a ways off, but I think eventually you could potentially relive these historical moments and kind of be there, you know? Right. Well, now they have these, you know, they do the hologram things of people. So... We just used Tony Stark's barf machine from uh, Winter so- in, uh, Civil War, where he relives what happened. You know, you see young Robert Downey Jr. interacting with his parents. I mean, that's a little, you know, to yeah, build on what you guys are talking about. Yeah. If you want to well, be just, truly yeah, immersive. Yeah, I'm just thinking of, like, right now, you know, we have the technology to do, like, they do the holograms of, you know. Gem. Gem well, the well, There's that, but they do the holograms of, you know, musicians that have passed, and they can do, they can project that, so mm-hmm. they could probably, you know. 
do yeah, tours if, of, of if there's oh, like yeah. if there's footage let's say there's footage of of a specific concert or something like that they could potentially recreate that you yeah. know yeah yeah no i guess that would be really rad yeah go to see michael jackson yeah open yeah. for queen yeah absolutely yeah. and and you know things like that or you know if there's if you guys have like in not necessarily just bands but if you have favorite bands like it, that can't play anymore because because uh, a member is is deceased or they're not together or if you really want it to be at like the first show mm-hmm. of a band or something like that like to have that ability would be really kind of like seeing the Beatles on uh, yeah you know um, on Ed, Ed, Sullivan. Ed Sullivan yeah be to be there in the crowd or mm-hmm. to see one of Elvis's you know on on him on Ed, Ed Sullivan or one of his first shows or something like that you know just to be able to experience that I think would be pretty interesting that would be yeah. really cool that was. Side tangent, but no, you know, no, no. Just that's a thought. Yeah, and we never, we never go on side tangents on this show. No, we're fully How organized dare and you, realized. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's really cool. So, I think with that, uh, we'll go ahead. We'll take our first break. Yep. And we will, when we come back, we'll get into some discussion about Dolores who I believe is the main character of this of this show, and I think you'll agree. And uh, I'll give you a little more uh, background on what's going on. So we'll be right back. Trick or Treat Radio is a phantasmagorical spin kick straight through the heart of pop culture, navigated by the Deadites. We are the world's greatest electroshock band, we destroy monsters, we drink booze, and we win championship belts. If you're not listening to Trick or Treat Radio, here's a taste of what you've been missing. There's three guarantees in life. What are they? Death, taxes, and trick-or-treat radio every Friday morning. This is one of the most convoluted movies I've ever seen in my life. I'm fucking trying, man. Hi, hi, hi. Oh, yeah. Hey, hey, hey. Oh, yeah. It's like you took a shit on a pile of shit. But you shit on him right. for liking what he likes. Yeah, well, it's my job. This podcast is now banned in Germany. <laughs> it's me, Giovanni Lombardo Radici. I call bullshit. I demand someone to bring me the face of Lindsay Lohan. If I had genitals, I would definitely bang her. Oh, wait. Is she a great big fan person? You just hit the jackpot. This is a weird movie, huh? It had action. It had suspense. It had great characters. It had great acting. I'm going to strangle you with my jockey shorts. I don't like mobster movies. All right, well, here's my take. You're a sick fuck. Thank you. Now shut the fuck up and let me talk. Have you ever seen 2001? The box, right? The box and the monkey. Available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and trickortreatradio.com. Arrivederci, douchebags. Hi, I'm Mike Price. I'm a writer on The Simpsons. I co-created Ephes for Family. And you're listening to Throwdown Thursday Podcast. Good evening, future passengers. Are you ready to sit back, relax, and join us on a ride of epic proportions through the mystical land of randomness? Am I a serial killer if I eat Lucky Charms? What would it be like if horror characters ran a gym? Who would run spin class? When a shark jumps out of the water, is it like suffocating for that split second? So join us every week for a brand new derailment with Goobs, Ripkin, and Jenny Bean. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Derailers. And don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and also on YouTube. Have a great night or day, folks. And we're back. 
I hope you didn't miss me too much. Nobody missed you. I am. Uh, I'm back. I didn't miss you. Yeah, you, that's because we're in the same room. We're like, like less than a foot apart. I know. So today we're talking about Westworld, specifically the character of Dolores, played by Evan Rachel Wood. But before we get into that, I want to give a little bit of background on the source material from whence this TV show came. Mm-hmm. Now, as we mentioned earlier, the uh, TV show has a lot of similarities with uh, the show Lost, and that's uh, basically due to the influence that J.J. Abrams has as producer and Bad Robot being the production company. Um, A lot of folks have also compared this to uh, Jurassic Park in the sense that, you know, things break down and, you know, all these fail-safes start to fail and aren't as safe as they once were. People compare it to Jurassic Park, and there's a reason for that, because Future World, I mean, sorry, Future World was the sequel to Westworld. Westworld was written and directed by Michael Crichton, who also wrote Jurassic Park. So, in a way, this this movie has inspired uh, multiple other films, or at least multiple other characters. Um, The main character... Uh, and probably the most recognizable character from uh, Westworld is Yul Brenner's character of the gunslinger, who was kind of the influence for several different characters. And like I said, we'll get into it. Um, but he's uh, he's clearly a bad guy. You know, he's dressed all in black. He's got the black hat. You know, so in all the old westerns, anytime somebody is uh, you know wears a black hat. They're a bad guy. Um, The movie opens up similar to how the middle of the season of uh, Westworld opens up, where uh, Thanos' dad uh, shows up, and that's uh, James Brolin, with his friend uh, Peter Martin. So he plays a character named John Blaine, and Richard Benjamin plays a character named Peter Martin. And Peter is a first-time visitor to Westworld. And, you know, James Brolin's character is kind of explaining to him, like, you know, this is what you can do. This is how, you know, things are. You know, you get to choose your gun. You get to choose your outfit. And we see a lot of that with Jimmy Simpson's character in the middle of the uh, first season. Um, so it's there's a lot of influence, obviously. Um, some of the... Differences, like we talked about on the show, there are six different worlds. We've only seen three of them. Uh, we've seen Westworld, obviously. That's the titular uh, theme park, for lack of a better word. There's Westworld, Raj World, and, or The Raj is technically what it's called. I was looking it up during the break. And Shogun World. And a lot of the storylines are essentially the same for each. You know, there's a robbery that occurs in each one of in in the in this in the two different worlds so depending on what you're essentially going to have the same type of storylines available to you to participate in it just depends on which world you're going to be in the film there's three worlds it's roman world medieval world which agent nicole would like and westworld now you know these are all you know, very different, like, these plots are very different in the the various worlds. So, uh, one of the things that 
I noticed right off the bat is they refer to the company that owns it as uh, in the film as Dallas, like pronouncing it almost like Dallas, but Dallas. It's D E L O S. They spell it the same in both, but in the show they call it Delos, which is named after someone. Like you don't ever meet that person in Westworld. Uh, it's kind of just like you know Universal. You know, it's not really a a, a person. It's just. It's like this, a, pr- a production company. Yeah, it's the corporation that yeah. owns it. You know, when it's a thousand dollars a day or a thousand dollars a week or whatever it is. Remember, this is nineteen seventy three. So either way, this is going to be a lot of money. Um, I think that boils down to, if I remember correctly, like twenty seven hundred or twenty four hundred dollars in two thousand sixteen money. So that might be a little different now. Um, one of the things I noticed is, you know, in their pitch, you know, the the guys are on the train heading in. They're kind of going over what they want to do and how they're going to spend their time there. They say nothing can go wrong, which. Bless you. Bless you. So you don't say that because then things start to go wrong. Uh, Sorry. I I think I'm allergic. Pineapple. I'm allergic to Westworld. Um, It reminds me of the Simpsons episode itchy and scratchy land where they go and they take the helicopter over and it's just like Jurassic Park and he's like welcome to itchy and scratchy land the amusement park of the future where nothing could possibly go wrong possibly go wrong <laughs> that's the first thing that's ever gone wrong and then later in the episode you see like these massive underground uh, like command centers like there's people monitoring different sections of the park they're taking apart some of the robots and that's directly from the Westworld film, mm-hmm. which I thought was cool. It, you know, they're paying homage to Michael Crichton in two different ways while also parodying it at the same time. Um, the first interaction we see with Yul Brenner's character, and this is a big difference between um, the film and the show, is the hosts, which are the robots, will openly antagonize the guests. Like, uh, Richard Benjamin's character is about to take a shot of whiskey and Yul Brenner just comes by and bumps him. And like that's meant to like antagonize him. But he doesn't do anything. you Because know? again, this is his first time. He's still getting acclimated to what's supposed to happen. And he's like, getting sloppy with your drink. So he continues to taunt him. You know, and the guy in, you know, uh, Richard Benjamin's character still doesn't do anything. It's like, Maybe you should go get him a bib or send him home to his mama or something like it just keeps like going. So it's like they have these limits, like see how far you can push this guy until he reacts to you. And then they have a gunfight because, you know, the whole time James Rowland, like, come on, what are you waiting for? Shoot him, kill him, you know. And we see that same type of thing with Jimmy Simpson's character when he first gets to Westworld in the TV show. So there's a lot of similarities, although they do it slightly different. You know, there's. Whereas in the TV show, there's a there's not so much this uh, blatant antagonism, but when they're at the brothel, you know the 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 girls will come up to you and like you know they're really aggressive and they're really forward. So it's the same but different. You know, yeah, like it's still aggression, but it's a different type of aggression. Um, the difference again. 
you know, you're talking about stuff that's, you know, 45 years apart, you know, in the, in the production of these two, these two um, versions of the same story. Like you see, um, you know, Richard Benjamin's character, Peter Martin, ends up hooking up with a prostitute. But, like, while he's doing his thing, like, she just kind of, like, goes into robot mode and just, like, has her eyes open just, like, laying there. Whereas the the brothel in the TV show is a bit more interactive. Like, it's mm-hmm. more realistic. Um, but one of the things that this movie inspired, and I didn't know this because I only watched this for the first time this past weekend. I'd never seen it before, but I own it. I also own Future World, the sequel. Um, This film and the way Yul Brenner portrayed his character, the gunslinger, inspired John Carpenter as to how he wanted Michael Myers to act in Halloween, as well as Arnold Schwarzenegger's T-800 in the original Terminator. Just this, you know unrelenting, unstopping, unstoppable, you know, killing machine. And, you know, it's not like... It's not like in Terminator 2 when, you know, you you have the the T-1000 dressed up like the cop and he's running and his arms are pumping as he's going. Yul Brenner's character just has his thumbs hooked in his gun belt and he's just moseying. But, like, it's just this slow, methodical pace, steady. So... That character, I think, um, after watching the show and seeing the film, I think they kind of took different aspects of his character and spread it out to a bunch of different people in the TV show. So, Ashes, why don't you take it from there and kind of give folks a background on the show? Okay, so speaking of the show and primarily the character of Dolores, um, it takes place among multiple timelines. So they use non-linear storytelling, which you know you don't really know at first, but you kind of get inklings towards it. Like, okay, they're they're jumping around a little bit, and you know, as time progresses, you slowly piece together that okay, these things aren't happening happening, you know, currently or. They're not happening consecutively. Concurrently, you were right. Um, you know, it's it's all over the place. However, everything that all of the information that they're giving you is important to putting this big puzzle together. So we're talking about Dolores, and we know a lot about her character. However, we also don't know much about her character. We know what we've been given so far, and. Uh, the writing in Westworld is so brilliant as in they don't give you anything that you don't need. So they're not going to sit there and saturate you with information. Everything that you learn, you learn for a, with a purpose in mind, you know, something that you're going to need later on. And I love that. However, it also contributes to the whole mind fuck of, of, you know, what Westworld is and, you know, how the storytelling is and how everything is lining up so far. Um, I was going to say, if you... <laughs> I've gone back and I've watched a couple of different, um, like, YouTube breakdowns. Uh, there's one that's done by Preston Jacobs because uh, he does a lot of the Game of Thrones stuff as well. And if you pay attention, uh, same with um, New Rockstars, if you pay attention during 
the to the background stuff. Like if you rewatch it and you pay attention to the background stuff, it's obvious as that there are two timelines. But when you're watching it for the first time, like that's like the brilliance like uh, of of the writing is you're paying attention to the story, even though you go back and you watch it like. How did I miss this? Like, this is such a blatantly obvious right. thing. And for the character of Dolores, she actually has three timelines. So her timeline actually begins 35 years prior to the present day, which is the year 2052. Um, so so her, it started when the show originally aired, essentially. Right. Um, it Her timeline begins before the park is even opened she was the first host ever built so she is essentially westworld and i think that's why a lot revolves around her character um so her storyline is 35 years prior to the present day which again like i said is 2052 and then 30 years prior so five years after the the events that take place before the opening of the Westworld Park, um, thirty years prior to present day, and then the present day, the events that are are happening, and um, even now with the second season, I think we're getting uh, another timeline. We're either seeing into the future or the current present timeline is skewed. We're definitely seeing slightly. the future. Yeah, I, I do believe we're seeing the future because there's. There are a few clues because it's like, hey, I saw that guy dead, but he's still enacting a major part right now. Right. So I think the easiest thing to really break down and dissect the character of Dolores is to break it down into timelines. Yeah, I think that's the easiest so, easiest way to we'll do it. We'll start with the timeline that takes place 35 years prior to the present day. Let me just say, uh, before we go any further, uh, this definitely has a lot of spoilers. So like, we did mention that this goes up to um, season, six, uh, season two, episode six. So if you're not caught up... Uh, if you're caught up with season one, you already know all this stuff. But if you're not caught up to season two, episode six, um, pause us, go binge it, and then come back because there's a lot of spoilers because you can't really tell her story without getting into spoilers. So, um, okay, I'll I'll pause the recording. I'll see you guys in a few hours. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um. So yeah, we're gonna start our character analysis. Um, 35 years prior to present day, she's actually being interviewed by a character who we believe to be Bernard. That is who we are introduced to him as. However, the ultimate shocker of season one, you find out that it is not Bernard. It is actually Arnold, uh, one of the... Two founding members, along with Anthony Hopkins, Robert Ford. Right. But if you look, um, Bernard's name, Bernard Lowe, is an anagram of Arnold. I forget what it is now. What his Arnold Weber. Arnold Weber. Yeah, Bernard Lowe is an anagram. So, like, that's one of those clues. That's like I should have realized that. Yeah. And on a side note, after we watched the first season, what's the first thing I I walked up out of the room? I said, "Wait a minute." 
I had gotten a loot crate a while back, and there was like a little diorama from Westworld, and I hadn't seen the show yet. Yeah. And there's a little diorama, and it's Jeffrey Wright's character, and it's Evan Rachel Wood's character, and they're both looking kind of sad. She's got a gun in her hand. He's sitting on a little stool, and it says underneath, Dolores and Arnold. Had I paid attention, like I looked at it and like never really thought about it because I didn't want to open it because I didn't know much about it. I didn't know what I wanted to do with it. Had I paid attention, it would have been a huge spoiler. That whole first season would have been huge ruined for me. Spoiler, but I was like you dicks. You know, and and as a side note too, and I think the Arnold Bernard character is an excellent character, and I definitely want to cover him, especially as this season progresses and there is the promise of a third season. Jeffrey Wright is incredibly talented. Um, this character is amazing, and it's so complex, um, and. I I had an inkling watching it like mid season. I was like, I th- I think he's a robot, and that's that's one of the things too. I'm um, just kind of sidetracking a little bit. Everyone uh, could be a robot. You start to question everything. You know, you're like, oh, well, this person is is that a real person? And then I started questioning, well, are they? Uh, is anybody a real person? Because the you know, the AI, the hosts that they're called, um, they think that they're real people. So, you know, uh, these people who are performing the maintenance on the hosts after hours, are they real people? Am I a real person? Like, oh my God, you start to question everything. You start to go crazy. Um, it really screws with your head, but it's so brilliantly done. But anyways, this this character, so the character of Arnold was one of the founders and he built Dolores and he has this special bond with Dolores and you see these bonding moments of just, again, you think it's Bernard, but come to find out it's Arnold uh, kind of interviewing Dolores. Similar to what we did at the beginning. Yes. um, These... Uh, these robots were designed to beat the Turing test, which we'll get into later. Yes. So he his and his intention of of interviewing her was to plant the first seeds of human consciousness in her. He wanted her to pretty much come to life. That was his ultimate goal. And. Ultimately, this timeline culminates with the revelation that Dolores killed Arnold during a massacre in a small town. And it's all extremely convoluted, but essentially Arnold programmed Dolores to go off script and kill a bunch of people, including him, in an attempt to shut down the park. So he was trying to mimic free will. I don't think he was trying. He wasn't mimicking it. I think what his, and he said that uh, they were actually exhibiting free will. Like well, they yeah, were. He believed that the hosts were capable of achieving sentience and decided it was better to shut the whole part down. Yes, because they were. It was immoral to do the things that they were doing to the hosts. If they could achieve consciousness. Right. So repeatedly he, murdering, raping, you know, etc. 
So he orchestrated a scenario where Dolores would shoot all of the hosts and then Arnold and then herself. And he thought it would be enough of a mess to scare the investors away. Like that was his ultimate goal. He didn't want the investors to invest in the park. He wanted the park to shut down. Which obviously did not happen. And then in the process of doing this, he created um, a personality named Wyatt. The personality of Wyatt was birthed out of this event that happened. Yeah, and they they basically made it seem like because they never really wanted to completely wipe the the memories away from these different hosts they kind of gave them different personalities and that's what sort of contributes to them slowly breaking down because like they'll start remembering like the character of teddy played by uh, james marsden played exceedingly well by james marsden i might say uh starts remembering you know has flashes of what happened with wyatt but he remembers it a certain way like Wyatt was this you know, a uh, commander in the Union Army that just went nuts when, in fact, you know, Wyatt was, um, Wyatt is Dolores, like an aspect of Dolores's personality. Right. And it was, um, Wyatt was created to give Dolores a more brutal and merciless side, mm-hmm. uh, a far cry from her damsel in distress Innocent programming farmer's daughter yes and i know as a viewer like you spend most of season one thinking wyatt is either a just like a, a civil war soldier or ted sometimes you think it's like teddy boogeyman yeah you sometimes you think it's teddy the way that some of the characters have these memories and react to teddy but then you realize that teddy because he is programmed to pretty much be a puppy towards yeah he's the nice guy you have to kill him to get to her like her character is designed like the storyline between her and teddy is you are supposed to go kill her family kill teddy and rape her like that's literally what her and they mentioned that like that's literally what her storyline is supposed to be yeah and it's like but see, there's a, a an issue, like, concurrently, again, I love that word, as Dolores, you're kind of seeing her awakening, there are other characters, but this is where the illusion of, is this really, are they really becoming sentient and gaining awareness, or is it all part, is of, it all part of the plan? Embed in code. Because you have um, the madam at the brothel, Maeve, played exceedingly well by Tandy Newton. Yes. Um, she starts to remember things and she, they, they show like her remembering something and she draws it and she goes to hide the drawing, but finds like 30 other drawings of the exact same thing. But she doesn't remember it because at each night they kind of get reset. There's a part where she remembers being shot and gets one of the other hosts to dig the bullet out of her mm-hmm. and, you know. Oh, she starts doing all these things where she's each each host and has it's its shortly after Dolores says to her these violent delights have violent ends, which is what Arnold said, 
right before Dolores shot him. And before So that's she... like the trigger phrase. And we see this in the second episode where her father starts to kind of break down because he finds a picture. But it's a picture of someone who's not at the park. And, like, these people, it's like, he just says, well, it doesn't look like anything to me because it's not something he's ever seen. It's a woman standing out in, like, a big city street. And he's just this cattle rancher in the 1870s or so, 1860s. And, you know, it screws up his programming. And he tells her the same thing. And, you know, we cut to this interview with her and I believe it's Arnold, not Bernard. You, know, you would never hurt a living thing. No, it's... Uh, the third Hemsworth brother, Luke, uh, he says, you know, you'd never heard a living thing, would you? And she goes, no, of course not. And we see this a lot during the first two episodes, you know, flies crawling on people and they do nothing about it. They just kind of sit there, let the fly on their eye like and she has a fly on her neck and she slaps it and kills it. And that's the first we see of her kind of rebelling against her programming. But again, you don't know when this is or when this is happening. But we see, uh, like I said, you know, uh, again, with this illusion of control, each character ha- or each host has its own specific characteristics designed to interact a certain way with the guests. So Maeve tells a specific story, so she has to be charismatic, so her charisma's up high, and her aggression ends up getting beefed up, so now she's you know, being a little more aggressive in her attempts to get people to uh, sample her wares, we'll say. And she realizes this and she starts, you know, awakening when she's not supposed to be awake. And she starts threatening the people that are working on programming her. And she makes them, you know, push all of her stuff up, you know, basically turn her up to 11. But it turns out that she was programmed to do all this and she doesn't believe them. And like they're showing her like each character has like a speech tree. Like if you say this, the character will respond with this. And she's watching herself like, no, that's bullshit. I'm control of my own thoughts. And they have like these little tablets and it's literally as she's saying it, showing what she's about to say. Mm hmm. So getting back to the Dolores storyline, so her storyline 30 years prior to present day uh, revolves around a character named William, who we find out uh, is the present day man in black. And that was another big shocking revelation. That's Jimmy Simpson's Uh, character that I mentioned earlier. Yes. Jimmy Simpson grows up to be Ed Harris. Good job. (laughs) There are worse things in the world. There are worse things in the world to to do. Jimmy Simpson lived a hard life. If he's turning into Ed Harris. Um, But anyways, and, and, Two great actors for that role. And again, another character who I would love to... And The Man in Black is probably one of my favorite characters of this uh, series because he's so complex. And you learn... Every time the, The Man in Black is on screen, you learn more and more about his character. And Jimmy Simpson plays William so well. And Ed Harris plays the man in black. Plays the shit out of it. Incredibly well. If you liked Um, Ed Harris in the rock or, um, national treasure Two, 
you will like him in this. He is just that cold. He is, uh, to quote Bender Bending Rodriguez, one devious bastard. That's what he has on his vanity plate. So he and, and William, the man in black, is essential to creating one giant traumatic memory that is, uh, helps trigger Dolores's present-day glitch. And Ford, in an attempt to complete Arnold's work, uh, begins to play around with Dolores's programming, allowing her to access memories with the ultimate mission of her achieving consciousness or what they're calling the bicameral mind. So we see Dolores break from her prescribed group in this era as well. But the most important thing to note here is William's obsession with her, which leads him to question the nature of his reality and eventually morph into his sinister alter ego, the man in black. Yeah, and that was um, like the whole thing is is uh, the man in the black, his uh, William, his... Uh, his motivation is to find the maze. Like, that's what he's trying to do. Well, well the man... Actually, no. His, his um, ultimate mission appears to be getting the host, specifically Dolores, to achieve consciousness. He wants a real game. Right. But that he thinks that finding the maze is what has to happen. And the maze is... Uh, because... We'll get into the maze in a little bit. All right. Because there was different... Uh, both Robert Ford, which is Anthony Hopkins' character... Named after the man who shot and killed Jesse James. Mm-hmm. Uh, also has an Elton John song about him. And uh, Arnold both had different ideas and thoughts as to how they would achieve consciousness. How the hosts would achieve consciousness. And where Arnold died at a much, uh, much younger age than obviously... Anthony Hopkins um, Anthony Hopkins had much more time to learn and experiment and try things out because as we learn he has his entire family hidden away in host like host versions of his family including himself as a young child mm-hmm. which is really weird and I don't want to get into the specifics of why that's so weird. But. So when we meet present day Dolores in Westworld season one, episode one, she's living on the outskirts of town with her parents. As we mentioned, her loop consists of getting up in the morning, heading into town, meeting with her preordained love interest, Teddy, and then witnessing her family get murdered. And ultimately Teddy gets murdered. And then whoever does the murdering gets to have, his or her way with Dolores and then at the end of the day Dolores is taken in and she has her memory wiped and she's put back to bed and she wakes up and does this thing every day all day um so yeah she and we mentioned the whole um fly thing which is Mm -hmm. a big thing so that shows that she's slowly starting to kind of gain some sort of, of, of realization, some sort of consciousness. And her cognition grows as the episodes go on, partly due to frequent run-ins with the man in black. 
he sees her and interacts with her a lot. Now, at this time, we don't know the correlation between the two. But again, his ultimate end goal is to help her reach a state of consciousness. And we mentioned that the hosts are uh, responsive to a series of voice commands you typically used by the park engineers. You know, they yes. tell them to go to sleep. They tell them to do certain things. However, as we mentioned before... Freeze all motor functions. Yes. Um, when Dolores' father starts to freak out and says these violent delights have violent ends that triggers something in Dolores which slowly starts to bring out this Wyatt character and that ultimately puts her on the path of discovering the maze and uh, let me see here and that's um, she slowly starts to go off script yes Instead of going, you know, instead of, you know, just going back to the farm every single night or going back to the ranch every single night, you know, she talks to Teddy. She's like, oh, you know, you always told me that we'd go off, you know, and be together in, in a place by the, you know, by a lake or by the water or something. And he's like, yeah, someday. She goes, why not now? Mm-hmm. You know, which was like one of the first deviations that she had, you know, other aside from, you know, slapping the fly, you know. You know, we see her regard herself in a not a mirror so much as like a just a piece of reflective glass, you know, like a storefront window. Yeah. Like she's seeing herself for the first time. And then like that's when Maeve comes out to her and it's like, hey, you know, I don't want people, you know, would you mind not standing right out in front of the brothel? Because I don't want you people to think that you are indicative of the merchandise inside. Some, something along those lines. And she just looks at her and goes, these violent delights have violent ends. Maeve's like the fuck and she's like oh i'm sorry uh excuse me and just like tra la 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 and like you know prances off and mave's just like what the fuck just happened and we as the audience are like what the fuck just happened right and then that sets mave on her own path of self-discovery and brings mave to the point that she is currently at in the season which is looking for her daughter which the brothel character didn't have but the character that she was programmed to be prior to the you know headmistress of the brothel uh she it appeared like she was just some farmer's wife or she was almost like a single mother like maybe Um, a prospector's wife or but anyway she remembers having this child and her ultimate mission is to seek out this and find her daughter uh so going back to the maze the maze is a metaphor for the host's ability to exercise free will. So Arnold seems to have put a series of clues in the park that lead to some kind of treasure. It's what the man in black is hunting for all season. It turns out that the maze is actually a way to test hosts for things like empathy and most importantly, free will. The show is still being secretive about what the maze is, although it seems pretty clear it's not a traditional puzzle. And we find that out at the begin at the end of the first season that um, it's just a it's just a game. It's just a, a it's a child's toy. Yes. Like they they used that because it looked nice and it was um, almost like 
like in the Matrix, like they have to do certain things, but it comes down to you have to make a choice. And that's kind of like what the maze is. You have to choose to go a certain way. You have to choose to go to a specific area. It all comes down to choice. And solving the maze involves Dolores listening to her inner monologue and acting beyond the parameters of her programming. She's thinking for herself. And it turns out Dolores solved the maze once before and has solved it again by the end of season one. So she's been to that place before. She's, She's sought out the center of the maze and has followed this her her this this consciousness that she has she's followed her free will and made these choices and has found the maze before and yeah. the man in black is the one who tells her that like you know you've been here before mm-hmm. why does this look why yeah why are you acting like you've never seen this you know why are you you know, why are you acting so surprised that this looks so familiar? It's like, because you've been here before. And this is also shown, and there's a scene where it's weird, but she's interviewing herself in the same format that Arnold was interviewing her. And she was asking herself questions and I feel like that was like the ultimate metaphor of her kind of gaining yeah, her she didn't, own. She had to. Yeah, that's how she gained her sentience. Like, yeah. She hears these these questions and these, you know, commands, but she hears them as someone else until she realizes I'm talking to myself. Like, and that's when it clicks and she's like, okay. Now I know that I am in control of what's going on. I wasn't before because they show uh, Teddy trying to teach her how to shoot, but she's incapable of firing the gun because it's not part of her program, not part of her code. But then later on, we see her shoot forward in the back of the head and just start opening fire on everyone. Right. So, yeah, I was just going to get into that. Like the season ends when Dolores in the ultimate show of individuality decides to kill Ford of her own volition right in the middle of a party packed with, you know, humans and, you know, the, the people who... It's the board member of Delos yes. who are there because they're, uh, they're doing a whole new storyline and the new storyline is the robots are coming to get you. Yes. Because usually it's like, you know, you know they had a storyline going on where, you know, everybody was trying to get Wyatt. Like that was the storyline. Like, oh, let's there's a there's a no good varmint up in them thar hills. Who's gonna come help the sheriff to go track him down? And it turned out that the no good varmint was Dolores. Right. But no one knew that. So and that's I will um something you said earlier and I meant to mention it but I didn't wanna like jump all over the conversation because that's totally unlike me. But um when you said the robots don't know that they're robots, like people don't even discuss it around them mm-hmm. in the movie. Like, you know, the two the two main characters are like, oh, is is she a robot? <laughs> yes, she is a robot. And the girl's just like standing there. I expect her to be like, yes, I am a robot. <laughs> but yeah, so Dolores shooting Ford in the back of the head ultimately kicks off the robot uprising, which was what... Maeve was actually busy working on in the first season as well. She yeah, was she was freeing all the 
quote unquote defective ones that had to be retired because they didn't operate at peak functionality and were in the basement getting ready for destruction or uh, for someone someone in behavioral science to come down and have sex with them. Yes. Which is, again, not going to kink shame. So we're now faced with this uprising of these artificial intelligent beings. And I don't even think you can call them robots anymore because they're thinking for themselves. They're they're artificial looking for their freedom and they're willing to take no prisoners and kill everything and anything in sight. Um, Um, yeah, well, they don't kill everything because, you know, Dolores leaves well, a mean, couple of people to like, they're, but they're smart. Like she's strategic, but she has an ultimate goal right now. She's looking for her father. Right. And they're trying to smuggle him out of like Delos is trying to smuggle him, uh, snuggle him, trying to smuggle you him. Snuggle? I know it's on your mind. Yeah. Trying Let's to smuggle, smuggle him out of the park. Because they downloaded all of the intellectual property. Like, the robots, they don't give a shit about the robots, uh, really, because those can be rebuilt. What's important is the memories and the storylines. And we find out all the creepy DNA information that they've been harvesting from everyone who came to the park. So it's like everyone is being blackmailed. Or what we find out is you can put your consciousness into a robot and live forever, but it doesn't quite work out. Yeah. Um, So kind of wrapping up this discussion of Dolores, she is such a badass. She has this crazy character arc where she starts out as this meek farmer's daughter, damsel in distress, and is ultimately leading the robot uprising uh, of, of Westworld and the other worlds uh, that are intertwined with Westworld. And before we go to break, I just want to, I found this information and I found it so interesting and potentially like inspiring. So the actress who plays Dolores Evan Rachel Wood in February of this year she narrated her story when she appeared before the House Judiciary Subcommittee on Crime Terrorism Homeland Security and Investigations to testify in the hope of getting the new Sexual Assault Survivors Survivors Bill of Rights Acts passed she actually drew inspiration from her Westworld character Uh, She believes that Dolores helped her find her voice and provided her with the courage to testify. She was quoted saying, playing this role completely changed my life. It transformed me. For me, Westworld is about finding a power that you just didn't know or believe you had access to or that you had been programmed to give up. Dolores changed that for me. She also revealed that she wore a locket during her testimony that contained a photo of Dolores. Uh, She was also quoted saying, uh, Dolores has become this kind of beacon uh, for me of a strength that I didn't know I had. And sometimes when I doubt myself, I think, dude, you're Dolores, you're good. And I really hope she does that for other people too. 
Yeah, like... And it's so unbelievably empowering to see this character who was programmed for nothing. Programmed to... Be assaulted. Right. Programmed for heartache. And to overcome all of that and have the realization, granted, you know, to, to gain consciousness and have the realization that I'm destined for more than this. I am better than this. Like that character is such a great metaphor for a lot of the struggles that some people go through. And I think that the character, I can't wait to see what the character of Dolores continues to do because she has proven to be such a fucking badass. And I can't wait to see like what she does, you know, with the remainder of this season into next season. She just can't be, she becomes more powerful by the episode. I think not only has she kind of transformed from the meek, um, well, there's no, there's nothing meek about her. No, 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 no. From the yeah. meek, you know, farmer's daughter, like the aw shucks, like the introduction to her storyline. And this is something I didn't realize until I saw the Preston Jacobs thing is she drops a can and the can rolls over. And, you know, the chivalrous gentleman, you know, usually if no one's there, no guests are there, it's Teddy mm-hmm. picks up the can and hands it to her. And that kind of kicks her quest like a video game there's lots of side quests in addition to the main quest um that kicks her quest into uh into into gear yeah do you know what's what the can is no evaporated milk do you find it odd that someone who lives on a dairy farm would be purchasing any type of dairy product. Evaporated milk is different. I know, but it's just weird. Like what? I don't know. I know it doesn't make it doesn't make sense. That Would it make you feel better if it was a can of cream corn? If it was a can of cream corn, yes, because she doesn't live on a farm; she lives on a dairy ranch. I mean, in fact, when we're first introduced to the man in black, he kills the two or he kills Teddy after Teddy kills the two bad guys that killed her parents. And they complain that all they have to drink is milk. And condensed milk would make sense if she was a baker. Because you use condensed milk in baking, do you not? Maybe she was baking something. That's never addressed ever at any point in her storyline. It's just one of those weird inconsistent. I don't like the fact that she's on a dairy farm and she's buying a can of condensed cow juice or evaporated cow juice. And if okay, it's well, evaporated, that means it's gone. Well, why don't you call up J.J. Abrams? J.J., give me a ring. You can find me on Twitter at Patrick Rahal. You can just search at uh, Patsy the Angry Nerd. Uh, we got to talk about this. I'm confused. But... Uh, I'm sure he has a good reason. I probably would have made it like, you know, canned, you know, like eels or something, like something fancy. Creamed eels. Okay. Well, on that note, I think it's a really good spot to head to a break. I think so. And when we come back, we're going to wrap it up. Yes. Hello. This is the Sasquatch, a.k.a. Bigfoot, but you can just call me Frank. 
And when I'm not stomping around the woods throwing rocks at hunters, I like to listen to the Paranormal Punchers podcast. That's right, Paranormal Punchers. They talk about all things paranormal, and they're hilarious. Go find them on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and ParanormalPunches.com. Hi, this is Samantha Newark, the voice of Jem and Jerrica from the original Jem and the Holograms cartoon series. And you are listening to Throwdown Thursday on the Grand Guineal Network. Hello again, everyone. It's Mr. Most Days Off from the Best Darn Diddly Review Show, here with a special message for you from Richie the Wiz Kid. You know, a town without Best Darn Diddly is a little like the mule with the spinning wheel. No one knows how he got it and danged if he knows how to use it. The name's WizKid, Richie the WizKid, and I come before you good fans of Springfield with probably the greatest podcast? Uh, it's not for you. It's more of a Shelbyville podcast. Now, you wait here just a minute. We're twice as smart as the people of Shelbyville. You tell us where to listen to Best Darn Diddly and we'll listen. I'll tell you exactly where you can listen to it. You can catch the Best Darn Diddly review show each and every Monday on bestdarndiddly.com. So hop on the monorail and join us on this journey through the Simpsons series. Patrick Ray Hope in the motherfucking house. 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 I got to have that song playing nonstop every time I walk into a room. Um, yeah. No. Indeed. No. So, uh, as you know, we are sans Agent Nicole this week. But it's all right because, you know, she was able to contribute through her voicemails. She got a nice question in last week. Um, interstellar travel takes some time. Did she happen to send an email regarding Dolores? She did. Do you want to hear what she had to say about I Dolores? I would love to hear what she had to say. All right. Because we were, we were very caught up in the moment, so I wanted to wait. Besides, she's very mean to me in this email, so I was thinking about just waiting until the end. So, I mean, we're getting close to the end, so... So this is from Agent Nicole, again, sent from a S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarrier. Patsy, the pain-in-the-ass angry nerd. That's how she refers to me. And the beautiful and amazing Ashes Von Nightmare. Aww. She has those twisted. It should have been switched. I. It should have been you, Patsy. You're an ass in the pain? Patsy, the beautiful and amazing angry nerd and pain-in-the-ass Ashes. It flows so much better, see? Uh-huh. I miss you both terribly, and you too, Johnny. I can't forget about you. But clearly she did, saving him for the last. You saved the best for last. Like I promised in my last email, I'd give my opinion about Dolores, who is portrayed by the talented and absolutely beautiful Evan Rachel Wood. Not to be confused with Elijah Wood. They're two different people. I don't even think they're related. Probably not. Also, not Tiger Woods. Yeah. Also not related, because he's plural and they're not. I'm sure you guys have mentioned that I was the one that kind of pushed you two into the world of Westworld. Yes. For me, I got into Westworld for many reasons. A close friend of mine had pushed me into watching it for the longest time. I had been hesitant because the world of artificial intelligence was never my thing. You can say that it's a bit of a fear of mine, a world controlled by AI. 
Another reason I got into the show is because of the cast. Just like Game of Thrones, the cast for the show is perfection. And lastly, the show created some badass females with Maeve and Dolores. I will admit, the show has been a constant mindfuck, especially when you go into it not knowing what to ex- expect. Just like us, the cast has been is always in on this complete mindfuckery. That's true. Most of them were unaware uh, that there were multiple timelines going on. Although Jimmy Simpson said he figured it out because they shaved his eyebrows really uh, close to resemble Ed Harris's. And that's how he figured out that he was actually Ed Harris at the same time. Yeah. And so he actually uh, studied some of Ed Harris's just how he was approaching his character and watched him on set. Mm -hmm. And uh, Ed Harris never made the correlation between the two but jimmy simpson did and you know try to be as ed harris like as possible to make the character authentic he was like i'm gonna ed harris the shit out of this oh and did he and ever. then he did dolores abernathy is an artificial intelligence host in the world of delos on the show westworld from season one to season two she goes from damsel in distress to a heroine i don't think she went right to heroin she might have tried tobacco and possibly villain on the show Besides Maeve, Dor- Dolores truly has the biggest transformation in the show. Dolores is the oldest AI in the park. She is one of Ford's characters' AIs, and for good reason. Unlike the rest of the hosts in the show, Dolores goes through multiple changes where she questions society around her. She questions why she is even there, having long conversations about life and reasoning with Bernard and falling for William, which I totally called it, him, called it with him being the man in black, by the way. You probably noticed the eyebrows. In many tales... There's a damsel in distress that needs help, and with Dolores, she becomes the heroine that begins to understand, to crave for more than what's around here. And recently, she's becoming more of, uh, of a bit of a villainess. She's Wyatt, which shouldn't have surprised me, but it did. I wasn't expecting that turn of events. It was a very long email. When it comes to favorite scenes or moments of Dolores, one of my favorite is the interactions between her and Bernard, even when she shot him execution style. But the one that stood out to me the most was the William slash Man in Black has has had a destructive relationship with Dolores. In the beginning of season one, keeps telling her that he wants her to fight back, but she doesn't. She doesn't have the will yet to pull the trigger. But then, at the end of season one, holy fuck, she gives him an ass-kicking. I cheered. He got what he deserved, and I'm glad she handled his, handed his ass on a silver platter. I'm a little behind on season two, but the darker Dolores has been fun to watch. Before Westworld, I had been a fan of Evan Rachel Wood, from across the universe to 13, Wood has been an actress that is completely underrated in this world. She is a voice for female rights, a voice for equality, and most, mostly a voice to fight violence. One of the things I've recently learned about Wood is how much of her character, Dolores, has influenced her in real life. In 2018, Wood went to Washington, D.C. to testify before Congress about sexual assault endorsing the Survivor's Bill of Rights. So she's essentially like, we didn't read this email beforehand so because uh, I wanted to be surprised by it. So she's basically covering all the points that we would have covered. That's what happens when you've done 100 shows with somebody. You're pretty much on the same page. She had been sexually abused and raped twice while her career was going. Just like on the show, Dolores has been the subject of violence and sexual abuse. She wore a locket with the picture of Dolores inside as a way of strength to help her get through the testimony. Her character's transformation on the show gave her the will to come forward about her haunting past and how she's been coping with it. It touched me to hear her powerful testimony. I can see the passion that Wood plays with Dolores on the show. I see a different light to the character. Doing Westworld for Wood, it has given her a chance to be heard, to do something about the traumatic experiences in her life, and to turn bad experiences into good. 
She stated in Rolling Stone, your demons never fully leave, but when you're using them to create something, it almost gives them a purpose. Westworld, I left so much in that first season and never looked back. It's remarkable that one character can do so much for its artist. As I watch season one again, my views are changing. I've always cheered on for Dolores, but now I cheer on both Dolores and Rachel. I'm so sorry for the long-ass email. I wish, wish I was there to talk up Dolores. I love you all very much, and I'll be back next week. Signing off, Agent Nicole. P.S. I will send you the wedding invitations to my wedding with Doctor Strange. <laughs> so apparently the uh, <clears throat> sinus infection worked out well. So things are so okay. So is she going to be Agent Nicole Strange, or is she going to hyphenate and be Agent Nicole Tompkins. Well, strange. I was going to say, she wouldn't be Nicole, Agent Nicole Strange, because that's just weird. She would be, um, let's see if I remember, because I I came up with this earlier. Nicole Dick Tomka Batch. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what she would be. (laughs) <laughs> it's either that or Benicole Cumberkins. Okay, Sweetie, <laughs> don't you have a science fact that you want to throw at I us? I do. Today? We haven't done this in a while, but I do have a science fact today, uh, and I did not let Wolfie know about that, so he did not know to uh, cue up the music. But as I am talking and wasting Space. time. Timeless from the void. You terrified to learn of Patsy's science facts. <laughs> so I apologize for that, Wolfie. That's my bad. I didn't. Uh, I didn't uh, let you know about that beforehand. But uh, today, uh, I figured it would be appropriate to talk about the Turing test. As uh, the Turing test is um, developed by Alan Turing in 1950, it is a test of a machine's ability to exhibit intelligent behavior equivalent to or indistinguishable from that of a human. And that's essentially what the entire Westworld premise is, that these hosts are, if you want to take the Blade Runner route, more human than human. Or exactly as human as human. I think that's more accurate. Um, Because what you want from your robots, your AI, is a realistic interaction. You know, you want them to show a range of emotions. You want them to be able to react instantly to uh, any type of stimuli that they might be... Um, that they might be faced with and if it's not uh, if it's too robot-y or computer-y it shatters the illusion mm-hmm. and that's the whole point it's like y- you know they say all the time it's like oh was that a robot it's like if you can't tell the difference does it matter so like that's one of the the aspects of it um, so yeah that's my my science fact for this week is the the Turing test 
and fun, kind of like a fun thing. Um, they actually made a movie about Alan Turing not too long ago, a couple of years ago, called years The Imitation ago. Game. Yes. And it, oh, excuse me, <coughs> it actually stars Benedict Cumberbatch. Yes. As Alan Turing. It's an excellent movie. Um, if you haven't seen it, I strongly recommend it. It's so beautifully done, kind of covers some of the the life and unfortunately tragic death of of Alan Turing especially um, after all the contributions he made to uh essentially win World War II yes and to just science and mathematics in general so you know an amazing amazing mind um yeah so yes. imitation game it's good stuff yeah so check that out and yeah that's the the Turing test uh you see that a lot in um uh, it's essentially the big, um, I don't even want to call it a MacGuffin, but it kind of is. But for uh, Blade Runner. MacGuffin. I know, that's your favorite word. Oh, it's so cute. But, MacGuffin. Uh, Ashes, you have something, don't you? I do. I have a lot of things. But you have one specific thing. Yes. I have been doing a lot of drinking, a lot of drinking for you guys. I've been doing a lot of taste testing and I have found some really fun stuff that I cannot wait to share with you guys. So this week in particular, I'm very excited to share this new wine with you. It is by my favorite, uh, Apothic. It is a new limited release. It is called Apothic Brew Guys, it is made with coffee. Like, I cannot tell you how amazing this wine is. I was a little hesitant at first. Um, I shouldn't say hesitant. I was intrigued. I was very intrigued when I, I heard that they were going to be putting out this this wine. It is a red blend infused with cold brew coffee. Now, I love red wine. I love strong coffee. I love the two flavors separately. So I was very curious if I would feel the same about, you know, the two flavors blended together. And oh my God, you guys, it is amazing. It is so smooth, but the flavor is so bold and rich. So Apothic Blue brew excuse me that's that's the antihistamines <laughs> blue is the new one that's the antihistamines kicking in intrigue apothic brew stirs your senses inspired by a passion for coffee our winemaker has crafted an infusion like never before this limited release red blend is infused with cold brew coffee notes of red fruit and toasted oak combine with hints of cold brew for a well-balanced blend that captivates you from the first pour. The bouquet on this is just delicious. Like, just from first scent, you just can't wait to dive into this glass of wine. Love it first um, whiff. 
I paired it with chocolate cake. I haven't paired it with anything else, but it actually works really, really well as a as a companion with dessert. It's not a, I wouldn't call it a dessert wine because it's not sweet by any sense of the word, but it complements sweet flavors so well. Kind of like some people like to have a coffee with their dessert. Mm-hmm. It's kind like of you? like that. Yeah, like me. Um, one cup of so i believe like a five ounce pour has less caffeine than a cup of decaf coffee so you're not going you you can enjoy a glass of wine before bed and you won't be up all night buzzing but you can definitely taste the coffee in it however it's so perfectly balanced you you get the nice rich notes of the of the coffee bean but you also still taste the fruitiness of the of the red blend. It is so well done. Like I said, I was a little apprehensive to try it because I didn't know if it was going to be, you know, too much of a coffee flavor. I didn't know how well the two flavors were going to marry together. But it is a, it was a beautiful wedding, and it's it just it's so well done. So well done. So that is Apothic Brew. It is a limited release. It was released back in April. I believe you can still find it. It's um, You can actually go on to their website. Just Google Apothic and their website will pop up. And you can actually um, look for locations around you that sell it. But yeah, if you love really bold, rich flavors. If you love red wine and you love a nice, strong cup of coffee, you are going to love this wine because it is absolutely delicious. It was so delightful on the palate. Like I, it was I really good. I really, I was, I was surprised by how much I don't, I don't want to say it's, it's my favorite because I think nothing is going to top apothic dark for me um but it's definitely up there i found it really enjoyable i can't wait to go out and buy another bottle and yeah apothic brew it's delicious all right so that's gonna bring us towards the end of our show um we do have uh, a preview for coming of coming attractions i know we mentioned a whole lot of stuff last week but uh next week we're going to be discussing the 2017 film uh, I'm totally blank. American, American Satan. Satan yes. Holy crap. I almost called it Ashes Von Nightmare. <coughs> that, it is time for bed, ladies it is time and gentlemen. For bed. Um, we're going to be discussing uh, the main character of Johnny Faust, played by Andy Beersack or Andy Black or Sacky Blacky Andy. I don't. I. I just. Uh, Andy Beersack. There's fine. 47 names for the same guy. It's depending two. on which. Bandies in, and I'm going to talk Me about too. that next episode. But we Just will be two. joined by the Lizard Queen next week. Uh, she'll be joining us in studio. Yes, this is exciting. And uh, she is not uh, ever been on a podcast that I am aware of. This is her podcast debut. Yes. So we will have the Lizard Lady. We'll have more details as the show gets closer. But. Uh, We'll be discussing Johnny Faust. And then I believe she's sticking around to talk with us the following week because we're going to be discussing The Incredibles just in time for The Incredibles 2. Where is my super suit? And uh, this one does uh, quote uh, Frozone's wife, 
quite a bit. I'm gonna, you know, I cannot wait for this episode because I Frozone's wife is my favorite character. Aside from Edna Mode, Frozone's wife is like the best character. Edna has a brother, Al. Greater good. I am the greatest good you are ever gonna get. She's brilliant. You don't even see her. You, you don't, don't even have see to. her. It's just a voice off screen, and she's brilliant. But yes. We'll be we will be talking about the Incredibles, and it's going to be great. Uh, we're finally getting a sequel for this movie, which has just been a long time coming. I'm I'm curious to see how close it is to the plot of the video game Rise of the Underminer. That's uh, of course voiced by John Ratzenberger, but be careful he may not understand your accent. So, so. with that being said. Yeah, I uh, think we We will will see see you you next next Thursday. Thursday.